0: Welcome to Legacy. We're so happy that you're here. We have a guest speaker today, Jonathan Martin. I'm super excited for you guys to hear from him. So if you've been coming here for a while, you've noticed that the first Sunday of every month, we have participated together in the table of the Lord. We've received communion together. And this is something that we as a church have decided to practice more consistently and more often. And understanding what Jonathan carries, we thought it was such a good idea to bring him in and have him speak to us on this topic. So before I bring him up, I want to say this. He spoke here, was it last year? Last year. And I remember sitting right here in the second service on this side, right where Thomas and Alini are. And I thought to myself, I'm not saying it was God. I thought to myself, he's going to move here. That's what I thought, because you were living in Oklahoma at the time, and it was like in my heart. I was like, he's going to move here, and I remember when you did move here, and I was like, yes, I do hear from God, you know. Um, He moved here, yes. And we were at Barista Parlor and I posted it on my Instagram. And so many people hit me up and they were like, he moved here. Is he going to be one of the pastors at our church? Like people were so excited. And so it's good because it feels like receiving a brother into the house. And uh, I think it's important for you guys to hear from me, your pastor, in regards to anybody we bring in. On Tuesday evening at about, well, Wednesday morning at about 3 a.m. in the morning, um, I was praying for Jonathan and I was praying for this weekend. And I just felt like the Lord spoke to me very clearly to say, John, the Lord called you John, which was interesting. John is like John the Baptist. And um, I was like, man, that's very interesting, God, like John the Baptist. And he said, yeah, I've invited him into the wilderness to call the people on the fringe back into the kingdom of God through repentance. And um, I said, oh, that's that's so good, God, because that's what John the Baptist did. And I thought, I said, you know, God, but John the Baptist made people mad. I thought that. I was like, but John the Baptist made people mad. He said, why did he make people mad? He said, because he was, he was telling a leader, a a politician, what was wrong. And I thought, man, I've consistently seen Jonathan do that. (laughs) And, uh, and I thought, man, this is, this is interesting. I said, Well, God, it's it's a privilege for us to host a prophet in our house. And we just want to bless and honor everything that's on you, Jonathan. Like I mean this with everything in my heart, bro. Bring the fullness of Jonathan because that's exactly what we want, don't we, church? So as we're inviting him up, let's just stand and honor him and bless him as we receive him today to speak to us.
1: Thank you guys. Have a seat, please. That that is the kindest introduction I've ever received, truly. Um, Thank you. That's really humbling. I am... Well, first of all, it's rowdy in here today. I'm loving that. This is, not just saying this, this is one of my favorite places to come, one of my favorite places to worship. I feel so at home here. There's such a special thing on the worship. And Lyle and Allison, I know that you know this already but this is not a like some sort of pastoral platitude. What extraordinary people that you have. So humble, so open, so generous, such a big heart, such a heart for the city, such a heart for you. I hope you know what a treasure you have in this couple. I am truly humbled to be here and thankful. When Lyle asked me specifically to talk about the Lord's table, I mean this is actually my favorite thing to talk about, truly. It's my favorite thing to talk about. So I just feel spoiled rotten. I want to go to a, to an odd text. That's a Difficult, strange text to do what I wanted what i do, but it felt like that's where the Lord is directing me. And as much as I care about these issues in general, for whatever it's worth, this really feels like a particular word from the Lord for this morning. So let's just let's pray one more time if you don't mind. God, I'm so just so grateful for the unique witness of Legacy Church and for Lyle and Allison and their friendship to me and their encouragement, support, and just the the way that you've raised up this church for this city. I, I believe in them, I bless them, I honor them, and we just Uh, We've sensed you all morning, but now we just want to especially yield and quiet our hearts, that you would speak to us, challenge us, redirect us, comfort us where we need to be comforted, push us where we need to be pushed. And give me the grace this morning, Lord, to know when to, where to lean in and where to step back and all that. God, we just want to be so led by your spirit. So we just simply say this morning, speak, Lord, your sons and your daughters, are listening in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit and everybody said amen Amen. first corinthians chapter 11 i'm not even going to give a a lot of context here paul speaking to this church that like all churches has issues people often say they want like a new testament church i always like to remind them what actual new testament churches were like corinth thyatira pergamum which one do you want these were places the apostles preached and they were as troubled as any of our churches. That's how it goes. But 1 Corinthians 11, really strange text to get to do what I feel like I feel called to do. But beginning with verse 17, Paul says, now in the following instructions, I do not command you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. When you gather... It's not for, you're worse off for coming together. Imagine this. You're worse off for your church services. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you, for only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. This is Paul at his warm, fuzziest, most pastoral. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper and one goes hungry and another becomes drunk. What? What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, this is where we get really heavy. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment against themselves. Heavier still, for this reason, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Yikes. This is the New Testament. But if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If you are hungry, eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for your condemnation about the other things. I will give instructions when I come. You can imagine the church at Corinth at this point are very excited for when the apostle Paul is coming to give some more instructions. What a text. I grew up in these wonderful Pentecostal churches, much more rural kind of flavor that I love, very much love my roots, but we didn't take communion very often. And when we did, if I'm honest about it, I I hated taking communion. I tried to avoid taking communion precisely because of this text. Because the kind of interesting framework is on the one hand, we only understood the Lord's Supper or communion. Sometimes, don't get freaked out by this word. I will say Eucharist, which simply means to give thanks. All of these are good interchangeable words, Eucharist, communion, Lord's Supper. on, On the one hand, we only understood this to be a symbolic kind of ceremonial reenactment. So the best case scenario, you just reenact this in a symbolic way and nothing happens. But it was kind of like Russian roulette because we interpreted first Corinthians very literally. So while the best case scenario is that nothing would happen, the worst case scenario is that you might eat and drink unworthily and die. Best case, nothing happens. Worst case, you're dead. And if I can say this to you the way I memorized it, because I memorized all these kind of texts because I was trying to figure out how to keep myself from being struck dead. In the King James, it says that those who eat and drink un- unworthily, you eat and drink damnation unto yourself. I'm constantly on and off again with healthy eating because I'm very much a foodie. And sometimes I'll, I'll kind of try to be strict and disciplined. Other times... I just want sundrop and zebra cakes. And when I truly indulge in something reprehensible, I will remember those words in the King's English. I am eating and drinking damnation unto myself. Every once in a while I want a little damnation. I do it on purpose. Best case scenario, nothing happens. Worst case scenario, you die. Now, I want to suggest to you this morning, knowing that people at Legacy come from any and all kinds of traditions and backgrounds, that however you articulate it, the very fact that Paul has such kind of life and death stakes to the Eucharist, to communion, should tell us there's something more to the Lord's Supper than a symbolic reenactment. There must be something more. There, there are two things that I really believe about the Eucharist that um, I mean, I deeply believe, and and as you'll see, I believe this frankly more than I believe anything else. I think about the gospel, which that's a big statement. I really do. I feel that strongly about the Table of the Lord. Two things that may not at first make sense coming from this text, but number one, I want to say, I believe first and foremost that there is a way that Jesus is mysteriously present to us in the receiving of the Lord's Supper. I don't know how that happens. I don't know how to explain that. Sometimes when I talk to people who like me, good like Protestant backgrounds, to even uh, to say something like real presence, or you know, are you talking about transubstantiation? Is this Catholicism? I, I'm not. This is no referendum on any of that. Transubstantiation is one way of articulating how communion works. I don't know how it works. I'm saying, in some way, Christ is mysteriously present. We don't understand how, but yeah, almost all of the early Protestant reformers believed in some version of real presence. I was very much influenced through my tradition by John Wesley. John Wesley literally took communion every day of his life. Every day he received the elements and commanded his preachers to serve the Lord's Supper every time there was a gathering. I mean, it was just that central. I mean, we we, we do know this from the beginning of the tradition The whole point of the Christian gathering was to come to the table. I mean, it was the reason. Did you note that one of the things Paul says in in condemnation of them is that when you come, you don't really come for the Lord's Supper. That's not really what it's about for you. The implication being, you're supposed to come for this reason. And I mean, I'm not, not exaggerating this or to sound weird. Like I love worship. I love preaching, all of it. At this point in my life, I come to church to come to the Lord's table. Like it is just that central and that important to me because I believe that there is a way that the presence of Christ is mysteriously mediated to us through this meal. Some kind of holy divine transaction. And well, that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say, which might be surprising given this text, is I believe that it is truly open to all. No, no constrictions, no parameters whatsoever. Now that's, that seems like an odd way to lead in especially when we consider the text that we just read, which talks about eating and drinking unworthily. That seems odd, but first I would want to say this. I'm convinced, and I'm kind of surprised I don't hear more teaching on this. I almost never hear this reference, and I think it's so odd. Keep in mind that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were written to early Christian communities that were already coming to the table every week. They were already established. And Have you ever noticed that in the Gospels, the central scandal of the ministry of Jesus was his table practice? Over and over again, we get this. The Pharisees come along and they say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's the scandal of Jesus. He's always eating and drinking with the wrong people. Eyeball to eyeball with them. Now, the grand reversal of Jesus who comes into a context where people have these purity codes from Levitical law. By the way, that wasn't hearsay. That was it from the Bible. It's from Leviticus. That they're who are consumed with, with, with purity. The whole idea is if you touch someone or touch something that's unclean, then you become defiled. The grand reversal of Jesus is that when he touches someone or something unclean, he doesn't get defilement onto himself. He gets wholeness and healing and life onto them. Jesus reverses the whole formula. It's in that same context when he's challenged with, why does your teacher eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners that Jesus himself says? It is not the sick. I'm sorry. It's not the well who need a physician, but the sick. So, so, So think about this for a moment. What are the odds... That if in the first century, when Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners, violating the purity codes, but he does this in a way where he imparts holiness and life. So how could it be now that if the presence of Christ is really mediated to us, is really known to us through this meal, that now it's for extra holy people? Because you don't want to contaminate the body and blood of Jesus. I contend this is the reason why the gospels focus on this detail this much, is they intended... For the table practice of Jesus to directly inform the table practice of the church. I think that's the whole idea. Supposed to be an open table. I'm all about tradition. But I do think this is an area where in Christian tradition we largely got this wrong. I I do think we largely got this wrong. Because it's so clear. This is the whole reason for the emphasis on his table practice. I, I mean, I would want to contend this morning that if you're stuck right now struggling with an addiction... I can't imagine a better remedy for you than to come to the Lord's table. It's not the well who need a physician, but the sick. If you're you're struggling, oh, there is medicine here. I I, I even believe if you need healing in your body, come to the table of the Lord. There is is healing in this meal. I, I absolutely believe all that. See, the thing that's so interesting about this text in Corinthians is that we interpret this as if it's about people being morally worthy of receiving the blood of Jesus. Let's unpack that for a moment. How many of you feel like you're morally worthy for the blood of Jesus? Man, you've had a really good week If now you think you're morally worthy to receive the body and blood of Jesus, like, who is that guy? I want to shake your hand if that's like, this can't be about moral righteousness. Paul's criticism is not that unworthy people were coming to the table, but that people were coming to the table in an unworthy way. Do you hear that? It's an unworthy manner. And here's the really shocking part. Does it have anything to do with moral righteousness? What Paul says is you have the same divisions and factions in the church that you have in the world. And the Lord's supper, which is supposed to be the meal of your unity, only serves to divide you further. That's what he says is to receive. I mean, do you hear what I'm saying right now? Because this is. Because, you know, we can be real holy about communion and who accepts it and who doesn't and whether or not people are in our tradition or in our tribe or if they have repented or got things right. This is the very criticism of Paul. This is how you're coming in an unworthy way, is that it's a table of division. If you study this in context, I promise you this is so clear. What happens in Paul's time is that the common table practice is that You know, there there was kind of a class system when people would come to a a, a public meal. The rich people, the wealthy people, got all the food and all the wine that they wanted. And then the poorer people in the community would get the scraps. That's what's happening here. Paul says, you are just, the table practice of the church looks just like the table practice of the world. Not because these folks are such rank sinners. But you're coming to the table in an unworthy way. You're coming With judgment in your hearts when Paul tells people to examine themselves before they come to the table he's not asking them to catalog all their personal private sins it's about are you not reconciled with your brother and sister because here's the thing the idea is not repent and get everything right before you come to the table if you come to the table right the act of coming to the table itself is an act of repentance did you hear what I just said? Yeah. To come to the table rightly is to repent. This is how strongly I believe this. Now, now this is where I have to cite some people because I don't want you to think I just made this up. You know, Wesley taught, John Wesley believed that the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, could be evangelistic in nature. He, that you could preach and that people could come to the table as a way of saying yes to Jesus. Wesley was down with it. It's like, like what's, and I'm like, what's wrong with this? Like, how is that a less valid response to Jesus than repeating some prayer? Here's the thing to come to the table of the Lord in the right way is to come humble and to come hungry. That's the whole deal. If you're humble and you're hungry, if you want him, then there's room for you at the table. That's the whole qualification. Do you want him? Then you should come. That, that, that's the whole idea. But if we don't come humble and come hungry, if we come with divisions, if the table only reinforces the ways in which we're already divided, that's when we're coming in an unworthy manner. It's not about people being worthy, but coming in a worthy way, humble and hungry. That's it. There's a, um, I've thought several times lately. The church I pastored in Charlotte years ago that I planted, we made this move because we, you know, also come from this very Pentecostal background, but we moved to having weekly communion and all, all these things that kind of changed about the liturgy of our church and our college and young adult ministry also started having weekly communion on Tuesday nights. Uh, I've just, I've, I keep thinking about this story this last few weeks for different reasons. I think because the moment we're in culturally being one. So uh, one night in particular, my friend Teddy, he preached and when he got done, it's time to come to the table as it always is. And he described how there was a young man sitting on his left on the same row that he was, who he noted didn't come down for the Lord's Supper. And he had his head in his hands, just looked real despondent and sad. And so Teddy walks over to him and very gently just kind of whispers like, hey man, I, I don't want to intrude. I know you've not been here before. Um, just want to introduce myself. I just wondered if you would feel comfortable maybe coming down to the table with me like i don't know if, like would you, would you feel comfortable kind of coming with me and the young man looks at up at him with tears in his eyes and says man i just i just can't do it i just don't think i'm in the right place for it and teddy said something to him just in the moment that now strikes me as being so spirit led and profound i think about this statement all the time he said to him well if you're not comfortable coming down to the table if you're not coming i don't want to go either Man, there is a lot of theology wrapped up in that statement. If you're not coming to the table, I don't want to go either. If there's not a place for you, there's not a place for me. I actually think that's kind of what Paul wants to say about Jesus in the whole book of Romans, is that, to use a phrase from my friend Chris Green, that God would rather not be God than be God without us. If you're not coming to the table, I I, I, I don't want to go. And so he just sat there. A couple minutes later, he asked the the young man, well, can I just pray for you? Sure. So this is what Teddy felt like the Holy Spirit gave him to pray in this moment. And I love this because especially, I know a lot of folks associate, you know, communion with tradition and high church and there's no movement of the spirit, whatever. He specifically felt like the Holy Spirit led him to pray. God, since my brother doesn't feel comfortable coming down to the table to receive communion, I pray that somehow you will bring communion to him. That's what he prayed. And as he's praying this, he told me later, of course, you know, he's thinking this is like the spiritual food. Like, God, bring some spiritual manna, whatever that means. Bring the provision. But then he says amen at the end of the prayer. And the young man who was serving communion that night, our friend Brian Brown, was kneeling in front of this kid with the bread and wine (laughs) and says, hey, man, I don't want to weird you out. But, you know, I was serving everybody in the line. Holy Spirit spoke to me and told me that I was supposed to come and bring these elements to you. And he begins weeping, and then he receives. Wow, wow, wow. It's not inappropriate for anybody to say yes to Jesus from any place. It's not inappropriate for anybody to say yes to this meal. Yeah, yeah. This is, i haven't been as radical yet as I want to be. So let l- let me ramp it up right here. If I was—if y'all are someone to preach to—if I was giving this same sermon and we had two rows of people come in from the KKK or from ISIS. I'd preach the same sermon, and at the end, I'd give the same invitation to come to the table. Because here's what we don't get. This is why I say coming to the table is supposed to be an act of repentance. It's so much about getting our relationships right this way. That's what God's asking for. If you're part of the KKK and you came to the table with everybody in this room, you'd be repenting. If you were part of ISIS and you came to the table with people, these Western American, that would be an act of repentance. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's precisely what makes coming to the table such a humbling thing is that we're all recipients of the same table. Nobody's superior. Nobody's better. I mean, this is literally the statement. It's like, if you're willing to come with everybody else, then you're fine. (laughs) The only thing that's not fine is placing constrictions on who you think is or is not worthy to come to the table of the Lord. Man. It's making me so happy that y'all are preaching with me right now. I mean, did you know he specifically said, this is his accusation, you've not rightly discerned the body of Christ. You have not discerned God at work in the image-bearing people who are all around you. That's the issue. Your attitude towards people. This can sound like a real oversimplification, but I promise you this is how I am, and if I'm overboard, whatever. Whatever. There, this is such a complex moment in history and a complex world right now. And I tell you these days, communion is my answer to absolutely everything. Like, it's all, it's all, it's all. Yes. Yeah. The table of the Lord. It's all I want to talk about. Because I feel like coming to this place, like, it's, it's everything. Especially in a moment right now, because we're so uniquely polarized in this moment, aren't we? Like, it's such a polarizing time. Yeah. So I just, I just want to pose this to you. I'm not... I'm not trying to mess with everybody. I gave disclaimers in the first service, and then Lyle was so kindly encouraged to just be myself. But I do want to tread softly here because, like, you know, I know, look, I'm not a local church pastor, and I want to be very sensitive around these issues, but just, just hear my heart here. If the criticism of the Corinthians is that you've got the same divisions in the church that you do in the world, what does that look like in our time? Because what I find in this moment, is that the pressure is almost unbearable for every community to figure out, are we a conservative community or are we liberal? Are we on the right or are we on the left? Is this a church that's more friendly to Republicans or Democrats? Because you've you got to take a stand. You can't be neutral. How is that not the same thing that was happening in the Corinthian church? To where then the people who come to the Lord's table have the same divisions among them as anybody else in the world? Okay, now this is the part where I'm treading softly, all right? I'm not going political on y'all, not really. But, you know, I'm part of what's been interesting about this season in my life, since I have not been pastoring a local church, is understandably that gives me the luxury to talk about whatever. And I don't... I don't tell all local church pastors they should be doing what I'm doing. I'm living in a particular moment. I may, I may not be here forever. I get to say things. So part of what that's meant in the last couple of years, and I think this is part of what La was referencing here, is yes, there have been some things. As a person who does care about justice and mercy issues in different directions, refugees, what I have had some, some pointed things to say about the current administration. So I had this. I had this incident the other day, and I want to say this in a because actually there's a happy ending to the story, but to me it just illustrated the moment that we're in. I was randomly on a Christian TV show the other night. I so rarely do things like this in my life. I was on a Christian TV show, and I was interviewed alongside a man who's like a leader from the tradition I come from, and I love that tradition and honor them and honor him. He's always been so good to my family, and when my spiritual grandmother's I call her Margaret Gaines, who is missionary. Uh, when she died, he was so well honored her. So I posted a picture of me and him and said some nice things about the bishop and just being a pastor, pastor, etc. all these things. The next morning, when I woke up at 6 o'clock, my Twitter feed had blown up because this same man was one of the 100 or so evangelical leaders who was at the White House dinner President Trump had last week. And so someone had actually, again, happy ending the story but someone had actually tagged every speaker who's speaking alongside me at a conference in a couple months and said, here's this guy who's supposed to be all about justice and look at him publicly celebrating someone who was at the Trump dinner the other night. And I was like, wow. (laughs) To be honest with you, I was kind of excited because I know that my parents (laughs) worry about me in the other direction. So I wanted to, I was excited to call my mom and be like, there are people who don't want me to come because they think I'm too conservative. This is amazing. <laughs> I really excited about this. Y'all, I got banned from Liberty University for life. They will put me in jail if I put a foot on the property because of criticism around these things. And now I'm not ideologically pure enough because I celebrated someone who went to President Trump's dinner. And I was like, this, this is the moment that we live in right now. It's just that tribalistic. It's just that divided. The girl did this, by the way, we ended up offline having a conversation that was so sweet and she was kind and sorry and she actually took those things down. It was so awesome. So it landed like in a really good place. But to me, it just illustrated the unique tensions of this moment. Because everybody wants to know, are you, are you with them? Or, or are you with us? And the very moment that you are not completely ideologically pure with whichever that demographic is, man, you are are not like us. You are not with us. See, to me, this is part of why the table of the Lord is so uniquely important in this moment. One, I think that coming, returning to the Lord's table is the only hope for the unity of the church, capital C. I really believe that. Jesus prayed in John 17 that the church would be one as I and my Father are one. I see no way that happens unless people across traditions return to this practice of coming to the Lord's table. It is the hope, because for all the ways that our institutions are jacked up and crumbling in many ways, the thing that makes me uniquely hopeful about this moment is that the lines have never been more blurred between Christian traditions than they are right now. Is that true? I go all the time into high church contexts where I'll hear somebody speak in tongues. Oh, and I'll go in in churches where people worship like this, and they're introducing sacraments and liturgy, it's beautiful. Like I truly believe this is something unique the Holy Spirit is doing in this time in bringing the church together. Of all the things that discourage me, that encourages me. But beyond bringing the church together in that way, this is the only way forward I can see in terms of all this, this, this polarity that I'm talking about. How, how else can we have unity if it's not around the body and blood of Jesus? Now, where where this freaks people out, and I know it freaks people out, is that that means that I have a higher view of the Lord's Supper. That's more important to me than a a lot of other issues and ideas that I also think are important. Because, see, uh, people like this, people like this just fine. Until they feel like the implications are that you're supposed to, someone that they don't think is appropriate will also be coming to the same table. And then they're drawing a line. Well, don't, don't you think those things matter? Sure they matter. Don't you think abortion matters? Don't you think issues of sexuality matter? Don't you think poverty and justice and work? Don't you think these matter? Yeah, yeah, everything matters, of course. But yeah, I really do believe, I believe so strongly in the power of the Lord's Supper in the body and blood of Jesus to where, yes, that, that actually ranks higher for me. This might be shocking to you, but you know, it's possible to come to the Lord's table with people that you have serious disagreements with. That's allowed. (laughs) A lot of us do it for Thanksgiving, don't we? That crazy racist great uncle, whoever else like, oh God, but they're still your family. It's possible to disagree and still come to the Lord's table it's even possible to think that someone else is in sin and still come to the Lord's table. You really can. And everybody draws a line. I was saying this to somebody a while back and the pushback I got, because it's talking about transcending these lines, like, well, you, I, you, I just think they said, like, don't you think like sexuality and marriage, don't you think that really matters? Do you have a low view of that? No, I don't have a low view. Of it. I just have a really high view of the Eucharist. <laughs> I just, I just, it's bigger to me. It's bigger, it really is. It's bigger to me. Because see, here's a th- here's here's how this works. The reason that we don't have to be uptight about who's coming to the table, and the reason that everybody has to be welcome. See, that's the thing. My progressive friends like when I talk about this fine until I say that if someone comes into your community with the "Make America Great Again" hat on, they better be welcome at the table. I didn't say this in the first service. This is me feeling free. I'm sorry. See, for some churches, they draw the line at a drag queen, and some churches draw the line at Make America Great Again hat. What I'm telling you is that it's the table of the Lord, not the table of the church. The guest list is not up to you. The guest list is up to him. It's just not up to you to figure out. It's just not on you. Isn't that beautiful? That's Paul's deal. Like, stop judging each other at the table. He will judge the church. He will, he will, he will write, the rightful ruler and judge will judge us just fine. What do we do? We just extend that invitation. We spread the table for all. And we say, if you're hungry and you're thirsty for God, come. The table's not spread for the righteous, Jesus said. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you want it, you should come. If you've got things in your life that aren't right, guess what? That meal will help make things right. I really believe that. I really believe that. You know how many times that, that somehow in coming to the Lord's table, something's been illuminated in me that I had to go make right with somebody? Like, oh, I, I've got to stop preaching. Stand with me. That'll help. I'll just, I'll do this all day. It's not the table of the church. It's the table of the Lord. And I got good news slash bad news for you. The way that God will, the the way that God chooses to sanctify us, the way that God chooses to make us holy is precisely by forcing us to love people who we think are the most unlike us. It's why I don't want a homogenized church. I don't want to be in a community where everybody thinks like me. If I'm in a community where everybody thinks like me, there aren't tools available anymore for God to transform me. Because what I found out is no matter where I am in my life, I'm always tempted to the same like white hats, black hats, good guys, bad guys, and who the bad guys are just shifts and changes. And whoever they are, The message to me always is love them unconditionally as I have loved you. That's what transforms me. That's what transforms us. It's not the table of the church, but the table of the Lord. In just a moment, we're going to come to this table. And I just want to raise your expectations for what this moment is, because I will say this once again, there's nobody unworthy to come, but there is a better and worse way to come. The way to come is reverent and expectant. I want to say one more time that if you're in need of healing, come expecting a touch of God through this meal. Yes, yes, yes. If there are addictions, you're, come, come open and hungry for the presence of God to make all of that right. Whatever it is, where it is come humble, come open, come hungry. Because I do think that when we come and we're expecting from the table, of the Lord, so much happens. One thing I forgot to say because I'm in a big way of preaching and I'm so, I know this is a late service but I'm, and I'm sweaty. But have you ever thought about this? This feels like it really should be said. I, I should not skip this. Please note that in the Last Supper, which kind of for us is is the first one, you know, in terms of communion, right? But it's Last Supper. It's clear in Luke's account, if not in the others, that Judas, who's already betrayed Jesus, and Peter, who's about to deny Jesus, are both welcome to the table. So if you think I'm wrong about that, there's my pushback to you. If Judas is invited and Peter is invited, who's not invited to the table of the Lord? If zealots are invited to the table as well as tax collectors who zealots killed for sport and now they're both disciples and they're both invited to the table of the Lord, who's supposed to be left out of this invitation? Once again, it's just not yours or mine to sort. He'll do the sorting. What we do is we just open up the feasts as we'll do here in just a moment. So I'll go back to the scripture here for just a moment. Thank you for bearing with me. Well, I did not mean to over on this footnote, since I can't control myself now footnote, I will, I do want to stress this. I think there are a lot of good hearted, idealistic people who love that. We just need all kinds of people to come together. Folks, this kind of unity is not possible unless it's in Christ. It is just, it just is not like be for peace and justice all you want. But it is in Christ that there's neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile. That's in Christ. Like the the reason that let's just all come together and love one another just doesn't really work. It's because like we we don't have it in us actually to really love our, we don't know how to love our neighbors. It's in Christ that this is possible. It's in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Oh my gosh, I'm done. Jesus, Luke 22. (laughs) So sweaty. He took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But see, the one who betrays me is with me, and his hand is on the table. I'll stop right there. Then finally, just this simple invitation I've come to love so much. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. Come, you who have been here often and you who have not been here for long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, because it is not I who invite you. It is not the church that it invites you. But it is the Lord himself who says all that want him should come and meet him here. That's the invitation. And you don't have to worry about whether or not you're sordid. You don't have to worry about whether or not you're sincere enough. Oh, I feel 63% sincere. Who cares? If something in your heart says yes to Jesus, something in your heart says yes to him, you need to come down and you need to receive. So God, I just simply ask now that you would allow this to become for us the body and blood of Christ. Consecrate not only this meal, but sanctify us also that we might be your people who are broken and blessed and distributed for the sake of the world. And I do pray specifically this morning that healing would be released in this meal, that forgiveness and reconciliation and irreconcilable situations would come through this meal, that forgiveness would flow freely through this. Where, wherever there is hunger and thirst, wherever there is need, lack, disease, sin, we say yes to you. We come humble, we come hungry in the name of the Father and of the Son with the Holy Spirit. Amen.